morning is from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, and it's on page 1093 of the Church Bibles. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for this record of what, uh, how the church um, began in the midst of prayer and in mission. Teach us afresh your call on our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been promised a gift and told that you must wait to receive it? For my 60th birthday, my lovely wife promised me a pair of binoculars. Not everyone's dream gift, I do acknowledge that, but I was excited. So excited that I said to Irene, before my birthday, can I have my present early? <laughs> Why, she said. You see, I was going out for a walk on my day off, and I thought, it'd be a shame, you know, those binoculars sitting in a box in some <laughs> cupboard. Why can't I have them now? And with a glint in her eye, she said, nope, you have to wait until your birthday, which is what I always tell her when she asks me <laughs> if she can have a present. <laughs> and I knew she was right. You see, waiting can be hard, even when you're 60. But when you wait and receive what's been promised, it's worth the wait. 
The disciples have been told to wait in Jerusalem. It had been one of Jesus' final instructions to them. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. I wonder what it was like waiting for that gift. We know that they were meeting in an upper room in Jerusalem, and they were praying together. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were again all together in that same room where they'd been praying for the last 10 days between Ascension and Pentecost. And something extraordinary happens. And it happens to all of them, each one of them. So let's look at what happened. First of all, we see that they were all in one place. Let's read verse 1 again. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. You see, it was bank holiday in Jerusalem. Bank holidays in the UK mean that our city city centres are usually empty. People prefer to go to the beach or the parks or go somewhere else. But in the first century in Jerusalem, Pentecost, bank holiday, meant the city centre was heaving. There were Jews from every part of the known world. There were people from local towns around Jerusalem, as well as city dwellers, all coming together to celebrate the 50th day after Passover. The more religious punters were recalling the giving of the law. But those coming in from the rural parts were clutching stalks of wheat, partly to give thanks um, for, for the first fruits of the harvest, but asking God that the rest of the harvest will be gathered in. It seemed like everyone was out having a good time, enjoying themselves, being together. That was everyone except the believers. A mixed bag of men and women, about 120 of them we read in chapter 1, verse 15, all gathered together in a room praying. See, Christians have always been called to be counter-cultural. It doesn't mean they don't have fun. It doesn't mean they don't enjoy themselves. But we've always been called to be ready to sacrifice our time to seek God in a fresh way. To risk being thought odd or drunk or just weird because you're not doing what everyone else is doing. Spending time on a Sunday morning in church or giving up an evening in the week to meet with other Christians and to pray in somebody's home. Have you ever thought how that is now counter-cultural? It's no longer the norm on a Sunday morning for people to go to church like it was years and years ago. But something is about extraordinary is about to happen in the room where they had gathered. It's interesting, isn't it, that we speak a lot about people being filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't often speak about um, the Spirit filling a place the Holy Spirit can fill a place as well as a person. The the ancient Celts used to talk about thin spaces. And what they meant by a thin space is where the veil between heaven and earth becomes so fine that prayer is so much easier and the still small voice of God is more clearly heard. Well, this Holy Spirit was about to fill the house where they had gathered. I wonder whether you've ever walked into a place and sensed God's presence there. 
so much that you didn't want to leave. That happened to me, it's happened to me on a number of occasions, but one time in Brazil, we walked into a Catholic church and they were worshipping with their hands held up and they were just singing, there was a band playing. It was beautiful. There was such a sense of God's spirit there. I just didn't want to leave that place. And the idea of a sacred space is being rediscovered in our day and age. The truth that God's spirit fills places as well as people. It reflects a growing realization that we need space and time to reflect in our busy world. Time to stop. It's becoming a rare commodity, isn't it? Our lives are so busy. Spending time with God, perhaps in a room like those early believers did. And that's why our prayer room, that little room up there, has become so important to us in our church here. And it's becoming important in our mission action plan. Because it's our powerhouse. It's our place where we can meet with God and bring our needs and the needs of our parish and our families and our homes and our workplaces. You know, I cherish the time I get in there to be quiet and to be still with God. Because you don't have to go in the room to do that. But there's something about being in a place where other people have been praying. There's something about being in a place like that. And my prayer is that that room becomes a thin place where prayer is much easier and we hear the still, small voice of God. But let's go back to the passage. Because we see also that all of them were filled a few years ago, I worked with an organization called Operation Mobilization in Pakistan. And after the initial two years that I was there, um, a group of us decided to come back overland to drive in a Land Rover. And we went to Iran, see some of my Iranian brothers there, as we drove back uh, through Turkey, Iran, various places. Um, so there was four of us, a German, a Canadian, an Irishman, and myself. It sounds like a joke. It's not a joke. <laughs> And we drove all day and slept out under the stars at night. And it took us 14 days because we were in such a hurry to get back because we'd been away. We didn't really, and we couldn't really cope with the culture shock of coming back into Europe. Um, and we were driving back to Belgium where the headquarters of the mission was. Um, I don't think we expected a hero's welcome, but a cup of tea would have been nice. You see, we arrived on the day when they had their weekly day of prayer. And we burst into the room where they were praying. They looked up as we walked in and they saw these four unkempt, slightly undernourished, unwashed men. And I explained, we just arrived. We've just driven from Lahore in Pakistan. And the leader at the front said, we're just having a prayer meeting. If you'd like to sit down over here. <laughs> they weren't particularly surprised and they had no intention of letting our arrival change what they were doing. And why should they in some senses? But when the prayer meeting is interrupted in Jerusalem, the interruption is sudden. It's dramatic. Look in verse 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This interruption was sudden and it was dramatic. The Spirit of God came down upon them and it was accompanied by supernatural signs. First of all, there was sound, a noise that sounded like a the blowing of a violent wind. Have you ever been in a tent camping and um, of storms um, blowing outside? And you can hear the power of the wind. In 
if you have, perhaps you can imagine what that noise must have sounded like in the house that they were sitting. But the noise wasn't the wind. It just sounded like it. They heard the noise, but this was more than a sensory experience. What does it all mean? I think the sound of the wind symbolizes the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon God's people. Jesus had told them to wait in the city for the gift that he had promised, the gift of the Holy Spirit. In verse 8 of chapter 1, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then there was a second sign that accompanied the sound of the wind. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. I'm so grateful for the words that say, and came to rest on each of them. Because we can read these words and think, but the filling of the Holy Spirit is just the spiritual people. You know, the ones that stand at the front, but that's a myth. We'll get to that straight away. The ones that seem to have all their lives together. But not for me, who's struggling with my life, weighed down with anxiety, troubled by depression, living with regret from the past. No, we read in verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Spirit is for everyone. In April this year, Oldham was hit by yet more moorland fires. And you may have seen the dramatic video footage that showed smoke billowing out into the residential areas near the moors. And there were shots of helicopters scooped up thousands of gallons of water and they were pouring up onto the fires. But while they could extinguish the flames on the surface, the peat underground continued to burn. It looked like the flames had gone out, but the peat was still burning. There are times when we experience the Holy Spirit in a dramatic way and we thank God for that. And, but there are also times when we think, the Spirit has left us. But if we have put our faith in Jesus, that means the Spirit is still in our lives. The fire is still burning. It may be this morning that the fire in your heart needs fanning into flame to burn like it once did. To burn so that others can see it. But the result of the wind and fire was that the place and the people were filled with the Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues, no longer hidden away in a room. They'd spilled out into the street where the people were, proclaiming the wonders of God with words that everybody in that crowd understood. You see, the church, this is, this is, this is the birthday of the church today. We celebrate the birth of the church. And the church was born in the context of prayer and cross-cultural mission. And those two priorities continue to be a priority for the church worldwide. And they're important for us. And we must never lose sight of those priorities of prayer and cross-cultural mission. Let's move on. We see as the disciples leave the room and go into the crowd we see that each one in the crowd heard let's read verse 5 
Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those speaking Galileans? Now I'm married to a lovely Irish woman, so I have to be careful about telling Irish jokes, certainly in public anyway. But it does seem that wherever you go in the world, um, people poke fun of another ethnic group. So Finns laugh about the Swedes, the Portuguese mock the Spanish, and apparently the Irish have a good laugh about the Brits, which is a bit shocking, isn't it? In Palestine, the Galileans were often the butt of people's jokes. Galilee was a northern province, and we all know what northerners are like, don't we? I say as a southerner. They were often laughed at by those living further down in Jerusalem. Apparently, sometimes they dropped their H's. And to the cultured ear of a, of a Jerusalem citizen, they sounded uncultured and uneducated. So when this international crowd in Jerusalem heard these Galileans, these fishermen, speaking their own language, they couldn't believe it. That's what they say in verse 7. Aren't those who are speaking Galileans? Yes, they are. But they're men and women who've been filled, filled with the Holy Spirit. The wind of the Spirit has blown upon them. They've received power. They've been set alight by the fire of God. They've been transformed, each one of them. And as each one speaks, the words God has given them, by the end of the day, after Peter stands up and preaches this this sermon, 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus. How does it happen? The place where they are is filled. The people in this place are filled. Each one has a flame resting on them. All are filled to speak of the wonders that they have experienced. That's what a witness does, doesn't it? A witness tells of their own experience. And that's what we're asked to do. And we're empowered to do it. Um, This bug represents our parish. If you look at a map of our parish, it looks very much like a tilted jug. If you don't believe me, go up to the prayer room. There's there's a map on the wall, and it has, without the handle, it's very much like a shape with the river coming around right here. And um, a while ago, we thought about how a jug is made to be filled. It's not much good if it just sits on a shelf and is never filled. But the interesting thing, even even if a jug is filled with water to the brim, it's only when it reaches tipping point that it starts to be useful and it needs to be filled again and poured out again and filled again and poured out again and so God calls us as individuals and as a church family to go on being filled with the spirit so that God might pour his love into our lives, so that love might be poured out to those that we know. I learned a new term recently. I think it might be a bit of Lancashire speak. Um, I was doing a funeral for somebody who lives in the community, and her family said to me, she often used to say, I'm just looking out for a gill. And I said, what? (laughs) And apparently a gill is half a half. So she was going to one of the social clubs, to have a half a half. I think it's a quarter, thank you. (laughs) But some of us approach 
You see why he's a teacher, don't you? Some of us approach God in the same way. We say, I just want a small amount of God's spirit. You know, it might be good when we're taking alcohol. But when it comes to God's spirit, I don't think there are any half measures. You see, it doesn't work like that. The wind filled the whole house. It fell on each of them. All of them were filled. I don't think the Holy Spirit does fill half a half or even a half. When Jesus told the staff at the wedding in Cana to refill the ceremonial water pots, they were filled to the brim. The Apostle Paul tells us to go on being filled with the Spirit, rather like the widow who came to Elisha, who only had a small pot of oil. Elisha told her to go and collect as many empty jars as she could, and she just kept pouring. They just kept on filling up those jars. The question for us today is, will we receive God's fullness? Maybe the first time, or maybe for the hundredth time. Will you ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit once again? To receive power, to be a witness, to allow his holy fire to burn in our lives, to take away all that stuff that doesn't please him, to receive the gifts that he wants to give us, to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. We're going to sing a song now, which is really a prayer. I'm going to ask you to stand. And if you want to ask for that fresh filling of God's spirit, then use these words in this song. Let's stand as we sing. in a fresh way and give us power to be witnesses for you in the places that you put us. In Jesus' name we pray.
with us. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give thanks and praise. It is right to praise you, Father, Lord of all creation. In your love, you made us for yourself. When we turned away, you did not reject us, but came to meet us in your Son. You embraced us as your children and welcomed us to sit and eat with you. In Christ, you shared our life that we might live in him and he in us. He opened his arms of love upon the cross and made for all the perfect sacrifice for sin. On the night he was betrayed, at supper with his friends, he took bread and gave you thanks. He broke it and he gave it to them saying, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we do this in remembrance of him. His body is the bread of life. At the end of supper, taking the cup of wine, he gave you thanks and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we do this in remembrance of him. His blood is shed for him. As we proclaim his death and celebrate his rising in glory, send your Holy Spirit that this bread and this wine may be to us the body and blood of your dear Son. As we eat and drink these holy gifts, make us one in Christ, our risen Lord. With your whole church throughout the world, we offer you this sacrifice of praise and lift our voice to join the eternal song of heaven. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. As our Saviour taught us, so we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body, because we all share in one bread. Every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Please be seated as we pray together the prayer of humble action. Let's say together. We do not presume to come to this your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness but in your manifold and great mercy. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs from your table. We are the same God who always says always to have mercy. Grant us therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body, and our souls washed through his most precious blood, that we may evermore dwell in him. 
and Fiona Armani. Draw near with faith. Receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gave for you, and his blood, which he shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that he died for you, and feed on him in your hearts by faith 